0: Let's go tonight and uh, go to the screen there, first of all, and talk a little bit about the way that we have been pursuing this idea of the joy of journaling. Out in the foyer there on the Welcome Center, we have those little booklets that we've made up for you, and they have a number of forms in them that you can go through and try to categorize. Somebody asked me about this this past week and said, Hey, by the way, why do you put like the category first and then you put the reference and then you put the verse? And my answer was because it, it really helps me to remember w- what is this for? What, what category is this in when you use the journal? Now, for those of you who may have missed the Sunday night service, what we tried to do this past Sunday evening in delivering a message on the sufficiency of Christ we went back to talk about how do you bring that down to the the daily level in other words we know that we're supposed to put on Jesus Christ we find that in Romans 13 put on the armor of light put on the Lord Jesus Christ well, what does that what does that mean exactly and 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 what would that look like And one of the things that we try to make the connection on Sunday night between that message on the sufficiency of Christ, that we are complete in him, but then to ask, so in what sense are we active? If he has saved us and at salvation we put on the new man that we became Christians, we were placed in Jesus Christ— what does it then mean to say that we are to renew our minds to mortify or put to death the things of the flesh? And this kind of took us into the journals to help us understand, okay, here's some of the things we're talking about. When we go to the scriptures and we identify a characteristic of God, that's the character of God journal at the beginning of the booklet there. Um, how how is it even possible that God's character could become our character, or that we could be more like the Lord? Now, obviously, we're not going to be omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, eternal in the sense that we always was, we always were, and always will be, or immutable—not in God's sense. But what about? love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness. What about pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated? What about those kind of characteristics, which theologians sometimes refer to as the moral characteristics or moral attributes of the Lord? Well, that's pretty plain that we can be like the Lord in that respect. Second Corinthians 3.18, we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. But again, ask the question, well, what would that look like like exactly? I mean, if you if you had to describe to someone, here's how you put on Jesus Christ on a daily basis, what exactly would you say to them? How would you how would you help them to do that? This I believe is the value of the journaling, especially categorizing as we're talking about here. Because the, the better you know a particular verse of Scripture, the more you recognize about who the Lord is, about his mercy, and about his truth. Always important to remember that the only reason that we can be like the Lord God, the only reason we can be like the Lord God, is because of Jesus Christ. You say, what about those in the Old Testament? They were appropriating the grace of God that would come to them when God's promised one would come to this earth. You and I are looking back and we are rejoicing and and taking heart in the promise of his coming that was fulfilled and the promise of his second coming. Why the second coming? He that has this hope purifies himself. We're constantly taking advantage of this grace, but it's all because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And that was really the point of Sunday evening's message before our Lord's table is it's all about his sufficiency, it is He is sufficient. We are complete in him. And we went through a number of verses, some of the ones that we've talked about here before, for instance, toward the end of Second Corinthians chapter one, when it talks about all the promises of God or are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. In other words, he is the ultimate promise. All the other promises follow after. That's why, for instance, in Romans chapter 8, when he talks about uh, he that spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How shall he not freely with him give us all things? He delivered him up for us all. How shall he not freely give us all things? He is the foremost of all the promises. And once you have him, you you have everything that the Lord had promised there. And so whether it is walking through what's right, what's wrong, how to make it right, how to keep it right, whether it is the character of God or categories of truth, Jesus Christ is the chief category of truth, right? He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our armor, Romans 13. Put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's your armory journal. And then what we've been working through over these last, oh, what's it been now, seven or eight weeks, we have specifically been looking for the promises of God and the promises of his presence is what we're looking at tonight. Biblical, biblical promises, Bible promises concerning God's presence with us. And it's really important to remember that those promises, how is it that we can use them? How is it that we can take them, again, on a daily basis and walk according to his promises? You have to ask the question sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I'm in a, I'm in a swamp. I'm in a mire. You know, I'm just in the mud. And I'm just kind of sliding. You remember, remember the old, uh, for those of you who grew up like I did watching the old Tarzan movies and, you know, Tarzan's in the quicksand or somebody's in the quicksand. How do you get out of the quicksand in a situation like that? Don't you wish when you feel that way, when you feel like you're like down in the mire, don't you wish there were like stone steps up around the side where you say, hey, I can put my foot here and I can put my foot here. Those are what the promises of God are. Standing on the promises of God, we sing sometimes. It's those promises that are so sure for us that we, that's where we can place our feet and we can say, I I I trust in that. But what do you do when your feelings tell you, yeah, the Lord is not near me. I, I, I'm just, I, just, I just don't feel it. I mean, I just, don't, I just don't sense it. That's exactly the right time to use the promises, specifically the promises of his presence. And this can really help us because when we turn, we, we look at what is right and what is wrong. And we talk about correction and how to make it right, how to turn away from what is wrong. God's promises sometimes are the primary catalyst, shall we say, or they're the primary motivator. The Lord's basically saying, "Come come on. I mean, come on. I, look, I I promise you if if you will turn, I promise you if you'll do that. That's the way every one of us in here were saved. We knew that we were sinners, right? And what did the Lord say? whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. And so it was by taking hold of his promises. A lot of times we talk about this, and you're around people who will say this. as Well, yeah, look I, look, I know the story. Here comes Easter time, right? I know the story of, of Christ died for our sins and was buried and, and rose again. So yeah, I really know that. Okay, but do you know how to apprehend that? Do you know how to appropriate it? Do you know how to take that for yourself? And the answer is, it's in the promises of God. It's very important to know the gospel, really important, and to see what's there. It is just as important to know what God's promises are to you, such as John 3.16, what God has promised you because of what Jesus Christ did. So let's dive into it a little bit tonight, shall we? And notice, if you're asking the question, do we have assurance of God's presence with us? Well, I'm hoping that Matthew 123, that we often talk about at Christmas time, I'm hoping that comes to mind immediately. Behold, a virgin shall, shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. He shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so when you think about God being with us, uh, think about what's being said there, that it's the Lord who is actually with us, God with us. That's that's a promise. In this case, it's a promise being fulfilled. It comes from Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, a virgin shall conceive, bring forth a son. He shall call his name Emmanuel, Emmanuel, L, you see the L there, God that God is with us which is being interpreted God is with us. So it's a good reminder. Remember what I said a minute ago about Second Corinthians chapter 1 that when you start thinking about God's promises, think first and foremost of his chief his foremost promise to all of us which is the promise of the Messiah, the promise of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. That kind of naturally helps us when we think about the great commission passage. You know that Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples. And then the second part of what he talked about, he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Um, What is it exactly that the Lord has commanded us? I made this comment on Sunday evening that I think we could almost make an argument for another journal to include in the ones we have there, and it would be the commands of God. What is it that God has commanded us to do uh, that would be worth noting and going back and asking? But think about the way that this is being expressed here, because, for instance, over in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, remember what it says over there about, about Jesus Christ and about the grace of Jesus Christ. He says in 2 Timothy 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Okay, question, what are the things? And the things are exactly what he is talking about here, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. I will at some point try to put together an entire presentation on what I'm getting ready to describe to you, but I think that you can make a very good biblical argument for the following, that the scripture speaks of the discipleship of Jesus, it describes discipleship by Jesus, and it describes discipleship for Jesus. Now, I'm hoping that creates a little curiosity for you to say, hmm, I'd be interested to hear more about that. The third, discipleship for Jesus, certainly in 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, and Matthew 28, what the Lord is telling them that he wants them to do. But let's go back. When you say discipleship of Jesus, this gets really fascinating when you look at the servant songs in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, 49, 50, uh, last part of 52, 53, and some would argue for uh, chapter 63 verse one, where there you have the Father's promise of his nearness to his son, in this case, his incarnate son who would be born, and that he would disciple him. He would be the one that he would he would teach you say, did, did Jesus Christ learn? Did he grow? Well, Luke two fifty two says Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so it's very plain that Jesus Christ did learn. It says over in Hebrews, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And I think what it's talking about there is that Jesus Christ experienced things that he could only experience as a human being. He, he experienced what it was like to be a human being. Well, you go back to those passages, those servant songs in Isaiah, and one of the things you see happening there is God the Father is explaining through his prophet, he's explaining how God the Father is discipling his own son. He says things uh, such as, he awakens my ear morning by morning. He, He teaches me how to speak a word to him that is weary in due season. And when you start working through those servant songs and you realize that those are prophecies of the coming Messiah and you look at what is expressed there, one of the things you realize pretty quickly is, you know, this is, he is describing here the discipleship of Jesus Christ. Well, then, of course, Jesus Christ comes to this earth. And what is he constantly saying? He says, I'm telling you what my father has told me. I am sharing with you the very same things that my father shared with me. That was prophesied over in Isaiah, that that would be true. But think about the nearness of the Lord God to his incarnate son here upon the earth. And Jesus Christ was constantly talking about that, that my father is with me. Well, now he is getting ready to ascend from the Mount of Olives here very shortly, just uh, 40 days uh, after this he is going to be ascending up and when he he tells them okay here's what I want you to do now I want you to go and make disciples well there's discipleship for Jesus so discipleship of Jesus discipleship by Jesus discipleship for Jesus but it's still about the things right the the things that he taught the things the teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you it's always about communicating the same truth to each new generation, the same truth that Jesus Christ communicated to his own disciples. Okay, Now, if you just stopped right there, <laughs> it would be like, well, okay then, that's what we're supposed to do. And the things, the biblical principles and things like that, I mean, we just need to get at it. Is there any promise in here? Well, here is then the very best part of all, he says, and lo or behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Now, that's an encouragement? In other words, you're just not out there on your own. It's not like, okay, uh, no one's supposed to do, and so I'm just going to get busy. I'm just going to do it. No, no, no. The Lord's presence is with you constantly. When uh, the Lord described the inspiration of Scripture, he talked about holy men of God, how they were moved. They, they wondered what or what time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did testify. In other words, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ so uniquely combined together that one of the ways you can refer to the Holy Spirit is as the Spirit of Christ. And that's the promise that he has here. You're, you're not out on your own. You know, when you're, when you're trying to witness, when you're trying to share the gospel, you're trying to to uh, lead others along and and show your own family members, your own children, how to grow in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're just kind of out there and thinking, yeah, I don't know if the Lord's here really close by. No, he says, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. So he is Emmanuel, God with us, and he is with us even until the end of the world. Let's take one more passage before we pray here, shall we? John chapter 14. Okay. John chapter 14. You know what's getting ready to happen. This is the upper room discourse. And in the upper room discourse, uh, chapter 14, 15, 16, he is getting ready to give them all sorts of information. He is really going to emphasize the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, in uh, his discourse to them. Why? Because he knows after his death and burial and resurrection, he knows that ultimately he is going to be returning to heaven. So wait, Lord, are you still with us, Lord? Are you? Do we have the promise of your presence? Well, look what he says in John fourteen verse sixteen: "I will pray the Father, and He shall send you another Comforter." That reminds us that Jesus Christ is our Comforter. Remember back in Isaiah forty when he said, "Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people." You've seen that a lot of times in in the in Messiah handles Messiah. Well. The chapter forty, right there in forty two, you have that first servant song. Forty nine, another one. Fifty, another one. It's he's another comforter, and I love this because he says that he may abide with you forever. Do you wonder sometimes, Lord, are you here? Lord, are you near? Are you, are you near to me? And, and Lord, I'm I'm longing for a, a better understanding of your presence. Well, here's where you begin. You begin with calling to mind and bringing to mind that the Lord said he would draw near, that that Emmanuel, God with us, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. And Lord, you promised that you would send another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So you say, okay, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. What does he say about the Holy Spirit? Well, the very next verse in John chapter 14, verse 17, he describes him as even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. So this is very, very unusual, isn't it? Believers only have the special privilege of receiving the Holy Spirit of God. He is described here as the spirit of truth. Remember that one of the definitions that you could use for truth is that which conforms to reality what is reality? Not not the foolishness, not the lies, not the fantasies. What is the truth? I mean, when you get right down to it, what is the truth? Remember, he is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of that information that actually conforms to reality, whom he says the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him. I love this. But you know him you know him. And why is that? For he dwells with you. And he's describing here at Pentecost, he will be in you. Isn't that an encouragement tonight to know that the Lord Really has drawn near. And it's the spirit of truth. It's the spirit of Christ that he is with us. He says that he may may abide with you forever. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the world. God with us. He is Emmanuel. And here he says, You know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. When you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, one of the things that happened to you was that you were indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 8 testifies about this, doesn't it? It says, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. And so it's not like, well, you you trusted Christ and in some time in the future, you were then indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the moment you come to know Jesus Christ. You are indwelled by him. Such a wonderful promise of his presence, his presence with us. And then to have that manifestation that's a great start to begin to say lord you really are with me and your holy spirit does dwell in me and haven't you sensed if you went on in the upper room discourse there when he talks about how the spirit of god convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment haven't you sensed that with a sensitized conscience because it's the spirit of truth it's the holy spirit who is dwelling with you Those are very good reminders for all of us of the fact that the Lord is with us and he is working in us. So real quick, if you were taking these and saying, that, okay, I want to put these into my journal, here's how you might do that in the journals that you have. It's the promise of God's presence that God is with us. Why? Because Matthew one twenty three said, God is with us, Emmanuel, God is with us. And again, one of the reasons, and the person who asked me about this the other day was saying, by the way, why don't you put the verse first and then maybe put the application last? My answer is, I like, I like to just look down and remember what was the category? What, why was this important? And then go immediately to the verse. And you'll find that by reviewing them and just taking the time to go back over what you've written down, you'll find it's much more precious to you. Same thing here. And by the way, these are not conditional promises. We talked a little bit last week about there are some promises that are conditional. If you do this, then the Lord will do this. These aren't unconditional promises. God's continuing presence. He says again, lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the world. That's a promise of God's continuing presence at, at work in us. When you feel as if the Lord is distant. Okay, do you think you will feel that way sometime in the future? Okay, do do you think you will wonder, Lord, are you really there? I believe I will. I, I mean, I, it, knowing these promises, being able to quote them, but I still will face the feelings. Think about it this way: Have you ever seen going down the interstate here? Have you ever seen when they're moving the uh, the truck, not the trailer, the eighteen wheeler? Uh, what do they refer to it as? The cab in the front there. And they're having to move those from place to place because, look, they, they need more of the cabs uh, someplace else. Have you ever noticed how they'll, they'll, they'll put one and then they'll put another one on top of that one and just kind of put two wheels in the back and then they'll take another one and connect it on that rather than try to daisy chain them together and, you know, they'll, they'll prop them one on top of the other. Think about it this way. Here's an illustration for what that might represent. You go through your life with faith, facts, and feelings, right? Now, here's the question. Which one goes first? Those three cabs are all capable, Any one is capable of pulling the other two, okay? But the question is, which one do you want to put in front? Now, a lot of men will say, well, just give me the facts. okay?" But the, the problem is that sometimes our view of the facts is off. You know, it's just not exactly right. You may be saying, well, my feelings, yeah." You know, what, what happens with our feelings? Uh, sometimes they want to run off into the ditch somewhere. It, it's very clear, isn't it, that we've got to put faith in. In the driver's seat, as it were. We've got to put faith as the first one, and then facts and feeling, you know, following along, letting our faith kind of drive it. That's one of the things you can do here with the promises of God. He promised that He would send us another comforter, that He may be with you forever. Hey, that includes now, doesn't it? That He may be with you forever. And God's promise that He said, look, He will dwell with you. You know him. He dwells in you. He shall be with you. That's the promise that we have tonight. That is the promise of God's presence. And it's a wonderful joy to contemplate those and try to have them ready to bring to mind and remember when we feel as if he were distant. We'll come back in a future message and talk about this. You know this, but it's conditional. Draw near to God and what? He'll draw near to you. Okay, so there are some that are conditional, right? But there are some that are unconditional like these where you can say, that's my beginning point. That's where I'll start. Let's have a word of prayer together, shall we? And then uh, divide it for our prayer groups. Lord, how we praise you tonight for these promises of your abiding presence with us and dwelling in us. Lord, this is a great encouragement when we just feel very distant. And it just seems like the attacks of the accuser the wicked one the father of lies are just taunting us and haunting us and we wonder just as the psalmist wondered lord are you near lord are you with me i pray that you would help us to use these promises of god to draw close to you and know that the faith tells us that the The faith tells us that the actual facts are that the Lord really is with us. And then, Lord, cause our feelings to follow along after our faith, knowing that we have embraced these promises of God. And we thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you will do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's divide up for our prayer groups tonight, shall we?